Welcome to the Color of Tech podcast. I am your host, Dr. T. And welcome to the episode number two. Um, This episode has kind of taken me some time to get to you because of what we're going to talk about in this episode. And the title of this episode is When the Chips Are Down. And I'm going to, and this is referring to the uh, chip shortage and crisis that we are constantly facing right now. Uh, It's taken me a minute because uh, I originally recorded, I think, two different sessions of this and I wasn't really pleased uh, at what you know I was was delivering because my purpose podcast is really for clarity and to, to provide you with in a sense when we say the color of, of technology you know the different facets of technology but to just to see things clearly and to provide clarity and so I recorded didn't kind of like the, the, the content of how it was being presented as far as my what I was referring to or the references that I had. I just wanted to make sure it was clear. The second time I ran into some technical issues uh, with, with the editing. And even within that, I wasn't really, really kind of pleased with the content. And so I decided to go ahead and just kind of back things off and slow it down and re-record. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the title is When the Chips Are Down. We're going to kind of take a look at the the chip industry, the manufacturing process, and what's really going on and what's not being talked about necessarily in the news. Uh, it's it's a very interesting story. The history is, is rather interesting and complicated. There are a lot of players. There are a lot of pieces and parts. So I'll try to make this as clear as possible. But before I get started, in EdTech right now, we're reaching the conference season. You know, that COVID, even though we're still having some issues with Omicron, but we're kind of determined to have those meetings and have these face-to-face gatherings. So it is season, it is uh, it's conference season. Uh, I think FETC is going on right now. We'll have TCA over in Texas coming up in the next in about a couple of weeks. There's going to be Cosin will be in Nashville. Of course, everybody's gearing up for ISTE in New Orleans. And we know that at tech conferences, uh, a lot of times, you know, you got your gear and you've got that one speaker there. You got this one vendor that's presenting or you got this tech solution that's being presented and your laptop has has gone down or your your you, you know, you've run out of your batteries or something is keeping you from uh, you know taking notes or you just don't like to take notes on your device. You just like to prefer to write them. So what I've done is I've created some uh, low content material that what it's called over at Amazon. And it's the the technology conference notebook. Now, this is just a uh, this is book is basically a simple um, book that allows in, in one of the books I have is for speakers. So if you it allows you to just take notes from the speaker, you can write down the speaker's name, his topic. And just the, there's a page there that you can take all the notes that you want from what the speaker is saying. There is a notebook for the vendor. So if you run across a vendor, you're at the booth and you're you're wanting to just kind of jot down some things, uh, some just some key points, uh, no, no more than just phone numbers or email addresses. Well, I have a notebook for you that you can do that. Uh, and also we have a notebook for those tech presentations because you know a lot of times you go into these conferences and you want to take notes and you just want to be able to jot some things down because people enjoy writing. Sometimes it's just better to write than trying to type. You know, the research is telling us that. So I've created a notebook for uh, the tech how-to or the tech demonstration. So they're all under the title of the Technology Conference Notebook. 
And like I said, there's a book for speaker notes. There's a book for tech tool notes. There's a book for notebook for um, vendor. And I've also created a compilation notebook. So uh, each book has individually has 100 pages. But uh, the compilation book is 30 pages of each, three, three sections, 30 pages of speaker for speaker notes, 30 pages for vendor and 30 pages for the tech tool and how to. So if you go over to Amazon and just pick that up, uh, it's just only seven ninety five. dollars uh, Go ahead and get you one before the conference so you'll have that notebook. Now, of course, we don't know what you might get in your goodie bag. You might get something you might not. But again, I've set this up and designed this so that it's designed for a technology conference. So it specifically says, you know, speaker and tech how-tos. And the tech how-to section uh, notebook is really designed. So it's kind of broken out. So each, so there are modules for like steps. So if they're showing you, well, I want to do this in Google, then it's like, there's like step one. So it's broken out for you. So you can take notes in steps. And so you can really, you know, get those, get those, uh, get get the steps and things, and uh, the way you want to write them, the way it works for you. Go over to Amazon, get the Technology Conference Notebook. You can, like I said, you can get the individual book for speaker notes or the tech tool, or if you just want all of them, there's a compilation notebook that is that is coming. Uh, at the, by the time that this podcast about it should be available uh, for you to. Uh, purchase and they're just $7.95. So go ahead and get you a technology notebook, technology conference notebook. Uh, I also will be producing one for just conferences because you know some people go to you go a lot of people go to conferences, they don't necessarily go to a tech conference. But you know you're at a conference and you want to be able to take notes. So um, go over to Amazon and check that out. Okay, so let's go ahead and get started into uh, into this episode's topic. So we're talking about the chip shortage, the chip manufacturing, and it's it's very interesting. Um, there are a lot of pieces to this. So I kind of want to go back in history. I want to kind of relay and 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 connect some dots here, so you can see and put some things in perspective, because. Um, they're talking about the situation uh, on the news. It's talk. They're talking in very general terms. So there's there's just really this overarching conversation that we're having on the news, but it really doesn't define what's really going on. And when you look at when you dig down a little deeper and look at the pieces, you'll find some very interesting relationships or some things that went on in history that we didn't know why this was happening or necessarily what was going on. So we're talking about chip manufacturing. So I want to start by just kind of describing this whole process, well, a portion of this process. The, the, so there is the design process, there is the fabrication process, then there is the, the, the testing, and, and then there's like the packaging, and there's a, another process of the actual the assembling of the chips or, you know, putting the chips inside the, the devices or wherever they're supposed to go. So I'm going to be talking mainly about the design and and more closely the the fabrication process because this is where um, this is where all the money is being spent. This is where all the attention is. Everything from from the design and 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 building a fab to building of fabs to geopolitical issues and possible conflicts with uh, China. So there's a lot going in here. So to really understand this and put it in perspective, we have to understand. So we, we said that it's a multi-step process and we're going to talk about fabrication. So in the fabrication process, it is 
uh, several steps. It takes at least around 13 weeks to produce a chip. So even though they're talking about chips and, you know, we know how we have come to understand manufacturing, but chip manufacturing or this process, of particularly of fabrication, is not like, you know, making a waffle. You're not going to push a button and 20 minutes later or five minutes later, a chip's going to pop out the other end. Or we got this assembly assembly line and people are just doing these, adding these little parts here and there. Um, the humans that are involved in the chip manufacturing process, they are basically running the machinery. Uh, they work in clean rooms, as we call them. They wear what we call the bunny suits, those you know special little suits with the little flat top, because no dust, hair, or any type of particles can get on those microprocessors or it, it is over. It is a done deal. The players in this game. So you're going to hear names like TSMC. You're going to hear names like Samsung, Intel. So those are the three big players at the center of all of this, really on one side of this conversation. And I'll explain that relationship in a minute. You also have people like Apple, Qualcomm, AMD, and NVIDIA. Their role, uh, because what they do is they design chips, but then they have their chips manufactured by TSMC, Samsung, and you know, maybe Intel here and, and, and that sort of thing. And but it's mainly TSMC and uh Samsung. Now what you have to understand about Samsung and TSMC is that one, you know, of course Samsung's in South Korea, TSMC is in Taiwan, but those two companies are the only companies in the world that can manufacture the most advanced cutting edge chips so these chips that are going into the iphone 13 the, the the galaxy phones if stuff that's having to do with ai and and quantum computing from a more serious note uh from a um, a note of national security these are all the same chips that go in like the the the, the fighter jets missile systems things that the department of defense are doing what we do to keep our country safe they play a role in that. So those, these very advanced, highly technical chips, only two companies in the world can make these chips, which brings me to my next point. So the conversation, when we talk about chip manufacturing and what we're hearing in the news, we're actually talking about two sets of chips. As I just stated earlier, that the high-end, high-tech chips are made by Samsung and uh, TSMC. All the other chips that are made that are going in the cars, that are going in the toasters, the IoT, uh, you know, all this different, the, 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 some of the other gaming systems or cameras and that sort of thing. Those chips are your, some cases, they're older. There's some, in a lot of cases, they're your legacy chips. They've been around for a while. That's really where a lot of the, the, the issues are right now. We're, the problem that we're having is that we can't get these legacy or these older or the not, not as, as a complicated or they're high tech in a sense. They're, they're, now, they do some good things. They do great things. They do some fantastic stuff. But they're not in the same league as the stuff, as, as the high end chips. Let me just put it that way. But they're more in abundance because we're talking about consumer tech. So, like I said, cars and all the gadgets and stuff we use for our televisions and all this IoT stuff, those chips are, 
is is where the the problem is the bun the, the the bottleneck is because these chips are not are not widely available, partly because of COVID, partly because of uh, particularly in the United States there are chip manufacturer, there are fabs over in Texas that were affected by the cold weather that we had last year when we had the ice storms and the snow in this area that we hadn't had in a while and it shut everything down. We lost power. That really set back um, a lot of those legacy chip makers, particularly in that area and particularly with with the automakers, that set that back. So when you brought in uh, stimulus money and people start buying because when we, you know, with, with the demands of COVID and then we got money, we can start buying the stuff. You put a demand on a system that was already weakened. And so now that's why things are kind of broken and out of place with the, with the supply chain. And, and also the biggest problem with this is that even though we do have fabs in the United States, as I mentioned in Texas, the majority of the t- chips that are are, are uh, pretty much designed and manufactured are over overseas, over in the, the Southeast Asian region, Taiwan, China. So this is also causing a problem because we're the, we've got these long supply chains and we're depending upon other people that, you know, when things break down over there, we're suffering. As you saw, there was a news report um, earlier this week that said that the manufacturers have only five days worth of chips left. So if there is an issue uh, with a manufacturer uh, and they get shut down, then these companies are going to be, you know, if it's going to be longer than five or six days, by the, they're going to pretty much go through their supply of chips, their five-day supply of chips pretty quickly if something happens on, on that end of the supply chain. So this is what's really going on. That's what you're hearing in the news with the, with the chip manufacturer. You have the chips that are, that are giving us all the problems are these older, uh, what we call the legacy chips. And and what's interesting about that is even particularly in the car industry, they're on those low those these legacy chips. But the um, the 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 other designers, you know, have been saying, hey, why don't you guys move up to these faster, more high tech chips to put these in your vehicles? And the auto industry is kind of like, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. We're making money right now and we were selling cars and we know that these chips work. We know, you know, that these processes are going to work. We have this stuff tested out. If we start, you know, changing chips and start moving up and and redesigning things, now we got to go through a whole new testing process, which could cause delays. Which, let's just put it, let's put it bluntly, that's going to affect profits. You know, and your competitors could get an edge on you. That let's just call it what it is. And so, you have a lot of things that, and this whole this whole notion here of. We've got legacy chips that we've got manufacturers and, and, and who don't want to move off the chips because right now things are good and they're making profits. You're going to see this theme in this conversation because this is something, and I don't want to talk about, I don't want to get ahead of myself because, but this is one of the things that, that kind of caught Intel up to, to just kind of go, giving you a basic, just broad overview of what's happening is there is a shortage there are two types of chips in play. The chips that are really being affected are our older legacy chips that are because everybody uses them because, you know, they're being designed for some, they're being used some of everywhere. And this is causing a problem. But there's another underlying problem that we have, again, because the high, the advanced chips are, we're totally dependent upon Taiwan and, and, and East and Southeast Asia for those chips. 
And we already know that China has said that Taiwan belongs to them. So now we've got this whole situation out overseas that if China says they're going to go into Taiwan, that's going to cause another problem. So you don't just have the chip shortage, what's being affected there, but we also have a national security issue that that could that is compounded by all of that. So that's why I say we have two sets of chips and there's two two sets of issues that are at play here at the same time. And the news kind of just glosses it all over as one big issue and it's really not. There there's multiple pieces here, multiple players and that sort of thing. So um that's the overview. And so now I'm going to get ready to go into uh the history and just kind of see how we kind of got here. Okay, so now we're going to talk about the history. So there is a um, GAO report, the Government Accountability Office, and uh, it's from 2006, September of 2006, to be um, more precise. And the title is U.S. Semiconductor and Software Industries Increasingly Produce in China and India. So this is a great report because I, I think if you ever get a chance to go, you know, look at some GAO reports, they really kind of dig down and give you some history uh, behind some things that were going on and kind of really sheds the light on uh, a lot of issues that are going on in our gov- that were government related, uh, that were particularly in, in, in industry and whatnot. So this is it was written in 2006, but it was referring to all of the offshoring that was going on in the 90s. Now, we remember all of the 90s how we started offshoring and of course people in communities start losing jobs and so forth and of course the companies it was great for them because uh by reducing those costs they received more profits and the stock you know the the, um, the stockholders were happy and we all know you know the outcomes of that um but what's interesting about this is that when we put this in perspective of the chip manufacturing and the semiconductor market, some very interesting things took place. In fairness to the companies, what we have to understand is that chip manufacturing is a very expensive business. It takes 10 to 12 billion, with a B, to start up a foundry. So right now we've had a series of foundries that are being announced in the United States. We actually have TSMC and Samsung who are building plants in the United States. Uh, TSMC is in Arizona. Samsung has announced in Taylor, Texas. We have some other uh, foundries that are going up around. They're they're also expanding in other parts of the world. We have some, uh, we're increasing some manufacturing in the United States. Intel, of course, is building a new factory in Arizona over there by, we're in the same area as TSMC. And they just announced this humongous fab that they're creating in Ohio. Now, again, manufacturing of chips is very expensive. And so, you know, to to their credit, Intel is really one of the few companies out here that still designs and manufactures their chips. So what you have to understand is that designing chips and, and actually building manufacturing chips is very expensive. And you've really got to you really, in a sense, got to know what you're doing uh, to manage all of that because it's it's very expensive. So what happened was to kind of alleviate the cost, we started offshoring the manufacturing process. So we would, at some point, we were still designing, but we started moving the offshoring over 
overseas to uh, in the in the in Southeast Asia region. Now, now I mentioned that there were multi multiple phases of chip manufacturing. One even right now we've we've probably heard the statistics that only twelve percent of the chips are really manufactured in the United States. We only manufacture twelve percent of the market now, whereas we were at a much higher back um, at, in the nineties. It was much higher than that. But even in that, what we have to understand is that even though the manufacturing is overseas, we still dominate the world in the design of high-end semiconductors, high-end and high-tech complex semiconductors. We still run the world in that. We can design our tails off when it comes to designing chips. We, bar none, we still hold the gold medal in that. Now, that being said, TSMC and Samsung hold the gold medal in actually making the chips. And there's a reason behind that. So, when we started, because of the, you saw the, the evolution of the internet and communications allowed us to, to be able to push data and communicate overseas, you know, designs and things could then be pushed to the manufacturing uh, overseas. Of course, that encouraged the, There was a, a side effect to this. Uh, of course, as we're doing this and we're making money, a lot of times we get the idea that everything is great, everything is golden, and it's, it's just not so. So as we were shifting that 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 work over that manufacturing, you also have to understand that at this time in around in 1980, I want to say 87, that TSMC was founded by a man named Morris Chang. And what these what these guys were doing was they had actually worked in the American companies in Intel. They've actually worked in all these these chip manufacturing companies. And so they left and went overseas and stated, decided they're going to start uh, their own factories or their own fabs. And they were going to concentrate on just manufacturing chips. They were going to try to design them. They were just going to manufacture them. Now, you have to understand that's a nice advantage because if you've been working in the chip industry for years and you cut your teeth in the chip industry, well, you know how they're supposed to be manufactured or what what maybe should have been done better or could have been done better. You know this because you've been growing up in this process. So it was really a perfect time. And it was a very, you know, uh, very shrewd thing to do was to go over and start uh, manufacturing these chips. And of course, as we started uh, getting those profits and we started moving those chips over there, we started doing other things beside that. After a while, it wasn't just manufacturing. It was uh, assembly. And then, you know, it went on into some other things. Eventually that you had companies who weren't even designing their products anymore. Everything was being designed, assembled, manufactured and pressed overseas. They just sold them and then they shipped them in the supply chain. And what's interesting about that is that there was a report in the Harvest and the Harvard Business Review about this because they were looking at, you know, offshoring and how we all thought that offshoring was very great and, you know, all was good in the United States and all was good in the world. So there was an article in the Harvard Business Review back in uh, June of 2009. And it was titled Restoring American Competitiveness by Willie, I think that's she, and Gary Pisano. And one of the things they talked about in this article was they were talking about how, you know, we were, you know, offshoring, moving this work overseas. 
we were collecting the profits and we thought everything was good and you know and that life was always going to be uh, a bed of roses because we were doing this and what they started noticing what they were saying in this article was that there were side effects from doing this they said in this in this type of process when you start moving the manufacturing R&D and research still play a heavy role uh, in this process again as a member I said that we are still around the world in the, the designing and in that research and design process of chips but you know what they talked about is how that when Basically, what happens is they needed to be closer. The, the research and development and the, the, the scientific minds needed to be close to the manufacturing people for the conversation. Yeah, you could pick up a phone and, and kind of meet, but it's better when you're there. We know if you're in the same region, same town, it's, you know, going over across the street, going across town and sitting down and having a conversation and looking at models and, 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 and bouncing ideas weighs a whole lot better in, in the physical, from a physical standpoint than just meeting on the phone. Because you have to remember at this time, there was no Zoom. And so, so what ended up happening was we started moving all of the talent, all of the research and development and the scientists started moving over into those areas. In fact, when the Asian companies started really getting into manufacturing uh, because their their governments began to invest in this process but also they began to pull all of their workers because you remember a lot of these people were working in american companies they pulled all their workers over back into asia and so you had all this this huge talent pool that uh, that just left the united states and went to asia to work and then you had all of us providing that work over there by offshoring so you're creating this perfect storm. And this at this time period, you started creating an, a, this perfect environment for innovation, for for ideas and research and, and, and that sort of thing. Now, if you remember, I mentioned a man by the name of Morris Chang who started TSMC. Now, TSMC, this is what this is one of the things that how TSMC and Samsung, in a sense, rose to power because as they were doing this process and, and people were pushing the envelope, they and they were just focusing on manufacturing. They got very good at creating chips. They got very good at making high tech chips because of the amount of time and experience that they were putting in doing this. But according, but but to go back to the article, they were basically saying that there was a side effect. It wasn't just you were sending the work over. You lost a whole bunch of talent. The entire talent pool moved and shifted to that area of the world. So you no longer had the, the scientists and the, the research and development over here. You had them all going, you know, overseas. Now, that was very detrimental to... What we found out later was that Intel, that didn't necessarily work in Intel's favor. Another article in the Harvard Business Review, in this article titled Profits Without Prosperity, which was was published in August of 2014 by William Lazonic. I pray that I'm um, pronouncing these names correctly. And one of the things he was talking about of how particularly Intel was one where, you know, they're doing things like stock buyback. In a lot of cases, there were some other uh, articles that were showing, particularly like Intel, which they were doing the most in the, in the stock buyback game. Uh, Intel was spending a lot of their profits uh, in buybacks and, 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 and giving this stuff to the shareholders, and they weren't investing in a lot of research and development. 
And this really came back to bite them because, well, you could say it came back to bite them because, of course, we know that Intel rose to dominance and power with the, the desktop uh, chips. And, of course, you know, again, remember they're a fab. They're designing and they're also fabricating their own chips. They were dominating the desktop market uh, with those chips. But there was a little company that came to them in 2009 and said, will you make this chip for my, that later became known as the iPhone. And they weren't interested because they didn't think that the ARM processor was going to really, you know, really, really, you know, pan out. You know, they didn't really think that was going to matter more. Not And plus, we're selling all this. You know, we were selling these desktop processors. We're making this money. And, you know, this thing is going right now. We don't, you know, so basically they turned Apple down. And I think before, and that was 2009, because I think in 2005, just when Steve Jobs basically, to the chagrin of a lot of the Apple fanboys, said, you know, we're going to go back and let Intel make the chips for our MacBooks and for our Mac computers. So there was already a relationship there from 2005. But in 2009, Apple was like, okay, was, since you guys are doing this, hey, make this chip for the, for the iPhone. And uh, Intel it wasn't really interested. So Apple, of course, went uh, overseas and started uh, setting up relationships to have that chip made. And we know the rest of history because, of course, you then, and, and at the time, you know, uh, the, the phone was taking off. And, you know, Intel wasn't too, you know, wasn't too messed up about that. But in 2010, when an iPad came off and this thing was still gaining momentum, of course, Intel tried to counter it with, you know, the Atom processor. You remember netbooks at the time. Well, netbooks really didn't go over from what the, the analysts were saying was that netbooks really did not offer you any power or anything to really write home about in the terms of computing processing. But when you take these phones and you started developing these these phones and, and see the thing about the ARM processors were they were very customizable. So you had Apple, you had Samsung, who, in a sense, were competing with each other. But at the same time, they were, you know, they were developing together. You had the growth, though, you, you saw this growth in that in that technology. And all of a sudden, the, the, the ARM processors started doing something that did take notice. And that people were noticing that, hey, there is something behind this and, hey, something is going on with this. So maybe we should take a look. Well, you know, Intel did one of the um, articles uh, that I uh, was looking at and they were saying that Intel really looked at trying to get the they, they did the ARM processor as a as a way of just kind of knock trying to knock the steam out of the ARM process. So it really wasn't about producing anything of really of, of, of any major power. It's going to shake the world. They were really trying to knock the steam out of this whole craze about the ARM processor. And it didn't work. Intel was supposed to be coming out with a uh, 7 nanometer chip. Now, when I need to kind of clarify what that is. So when we say nanometers, we're not talking about the size of the chips, but the nanometers actually represent the transistors that are in the chip. So, and the smaller the, the, the nanometer size, so seven, if you go down to five, the smaller the nanometers or the smaller the, that, that, the transistor size, the more powerful, the more complex, the more advanced those chips are. So at the time, Apple, uh, Intel was supposed to be coming out with a seven nanometer chip. It didn't happen. They said they're going to have to still go back to the drawing board. Kind of, we got, no, we're going to have another two years on this. At that point, Apple said, you know what? 
we 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 can't do this. We've got to go on because you no, know, we've got Henderson's dreams of bigger things. Uh, so at that point, that's when they got off the Intel bandwagon and said they're going to make the M1. Now, what you have to understand is that when we talk about, I just mentioned those nanometer, uh, those sizes of, of the transistors. Remember, I told you that Samsung and TSMC are the only two people in the two companies in the world that can make these most advanced chips. That's because there is a machine. Um, the process that they use to make chips is called um, is, is a process called lithography. Now, and we, you know, many of you have probably heard that. Um, and so in this process, they use light to imprint the designs onto the chip. Now, there there is a process called DUV, and it's a, it's kind of a lower tech. It's a, another version of, of, of lithography. And this is the, remember I said there were two sets of chips. So these chips that are in the cars and in the, the toasters and that sort of thing, they use this process called D, with using the DUV process of lithography, where pretty much everybody has one of these machines. Anybody who's doing these types of processors, and when we what we're talking about is anything over 10 nanometers. We're talking 12, uh, 28, 30 nanometers. I mean, we're talking... These, these legacy chips, they're using that DUV process to make these chips. Well, there's a company out, there's a Dutch company who uh, makes a machine uh, using EUV or extreme ultraviolet light lithography. And they are the only company in the world that can make this machine. The machine sells about for about $100 million. And the only companies in the world that can use them are Samsung and TSMC. So they use the process known as uh, extreme ultraviolet light to make the, this gives them the ability to make the chips smaller with those smaller transistors. And the more transistors, when the smaller transistors, the more transistors you can put in the chip. So that's what makes them advance. So currently, the, the five nanometer chip is where we are. So what you're seeing in the iPhone 13 and, and Samsung stuff and uh, all these, these, the stuff that we're seeing now, that is the five nanometer chip process. The, the foundry that they're building in Arizona will be a five nanometer chip making factory. Now, what you have to understand about TSMC, yes, they make seven, five, 10 nanometers, but they also make the larger legacy chips. So TSMC is a powerhouse because they can make it all. They can, whether it's using the, the old DUV process uh, uh, or the, the the more advanced EUV process, they can do it all. Samsung as well. They can do both. But when we're talking about that high-end stuff, and this is why Apple, and so remember I said that Apple is, uh, remember we talked about another group of, of, of companies, Apple, Qualcomm, uh, NVIDIA, and AMD. They're, they're what's known as fabless. In other, so what they do is they design chips and they let TSMC, Samsung make them. Okay, so what they, so, you know, they started this partnership long ago where they began designing their chips and sent that stuff to TSMC. TSMC using e, the, the ultraviolet, the extreme ultraviolet process is how they produce those chips. But it was partly because you had Apple and these companies who were pushing the envelope. Remember, every time you turn around, Apple, every time they came out with a phone or an iPad or something, they had a new chip. 
You know, they had a, a, a 12, an 11, a bionic 12 and all this. They had a new chip. They kept pushing the envelope to make better chips. Well, when you get, you match that with someone like TSMC, who's been doing this for 10 years, they begin to get what's, what I call the secret sauce of how to make this process work. So that's, what, that's how kind of TSMC and Samsung got where they were. Because they were they had someone like an Apple or these companies who were pushing the envelope and says, hey, we want to do a chip. We want to make a chip smarter. Can you make that happen? Hey, let's see what we can do. So they get together, they collaborate, they design, and because you know when you start uh, problem solving like that, you, you there's a lot of things that you learn during the process. So this is why TSMC and Samsung are as prolific as they are is because they've been doing this and pushing the envelope. So that's why I mentioned that, see, when you don't invest in the R&D, when you don't take the time to push the envelope, you kind of get left out. And so now you have uh, five nanometer chips that are out here but by the end of this year, TSMC says that they will be making a three nanometer chip. In fact, had I think they had some type of delay. Had they not had some type of delay or setback, Apple's, the iPhone 13 and the M1 actually would have been on the three nanometer model. Again, those guys are at five nanometers and they're already looking toward the future to three nanometers. What's interesting is that this plant that Intel is, is building in Ohio They've ordered some EUV machines from ASML. That's the company, the Dutch company. They're the ones who make the EUV machines that can make those chips. And I think it is interesting that they're doing this because Intel has never made a advanced chip yet. So I think that's, I mean, that, that's, I'm, I'm not going to knock them. That's that's bold. I mean, you 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 push, you set those goals, you set that bar high. But let's let's be real. You haven't made an advanced chip yet. I mean, you know, that's one of the reasons why Apple went to TSMC for the M1, because you had said there was a delay. Now, of course, we said that it's going to take two years to build, and it's still going to probably another couple of years to really get something going. So they're looking about 2025 to have that plant up and going. So who knows? They may pull it off. Now, I'm not I'm not trying to bash. So let me let me back up. I'm not here to bash Intel. I'm not Intel bashing. I'm not hating on Intel. I'm just going by the information that I've seen in the, the articles from the analysts and uh, uh, the tech analysts and the financial analysts who have talked about this. But I think that it's very interesting that Intel was pretty upset because we were actually giving subsidies to TSMC and Samsung for coming over here. And they wanted, they didn't understand why they couldn't be the ones that could get most of the money and not give it to them. But let's be real, they're producing the chips right now. So TSMC and Samsung are also kind of hedging their bets in case we get a conflict going over there in China. Now, what's interesting about China is China, even though they've been manu they, you know, assemble a lot of these things, assemble these devices, they're doing a lot of that end of the spectrum of, of the manufacturing pieces of assembling and packaging and that sort of thing. They they too have not created any advanced chips. They can't create um advanced chips. They're like 10 years behind the rest of the market. Uh to also complicate their issue, the United States has basically put uh, sanctions on uh, the EUV machines. In other words, we won't let China get EUV machines. You have to understand that the, the ASML, 
we had a hand in some of that funding and setting that stuff up, you know, because that, that was a partnership that what was going on with ASML was a partnership between, you know, the government and, and, and there was some in, um, investing and something. And then there were partnerships from the other in, other people in the industry, in the tech industry that was helped pushing this. And one of the things that I've, I've noticed when I was reading all of this is that all of these advancements that have been made were because of partnerships. And that the more people that you had as partners, that's where you saw the greatest uh, growth of innovation. It wasn't just two or three people. When you had a team of people and you had investment and everybody had skin in the game, that's where you saw actual really growth and investment and, and innovation. And so ASML right now is sitting on top of the world because they're the only ones who can make this machine in the world. And then you got TSMC and Samsung are the only two people who can use them. Now, ASML is a little nervous because because of those sanctions, because here's the thing you have to understand about, uh, well, just innovation in general. You know, we say that uh, necessity is the mother of invention. If you squeeze these companies and not allow them to have this technology, you know, one, an, an argument can be made that, you know, when you back these guys in a corner, that's when innovation takes place when folks are backed in a corner. You know, when you strip, when they don't have access to certain things, you know, we get together, we can collaborate. The human mind is very powerful. And, you know, or even look at how things get, get created a lot of times in our in our world. You know, somebody spills coffee on, on a keyboard. You you went to make this and, and, and somebody accidentally did something wrong in the formula and you created this and you ended up creating something that was revolutionary that you weren't really intending to create. You know, that's the kind of thing I think that we have to be reminded. You know, yes, all this. I understand the um, the uh, national security end of it. I understand uh, all of that. But I think, you know, we do have to be mindful of when we're talking innovation and we're talking about the human mind and 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 pressure that it's when we're backed in the corners that when a lot of times we come up with some of the greatest inventions and, and things. And so ASML is actually, a, they're kind of afraid that somebody is going to come out with a process that can compete with theirs. And they won't necessarily be the big hit, the big fish in the pond anymore. So ASML is a little, you know, they're a little skittish about that, about the sanctions. Now, what's also interesting is, remember, I mentioned a man by the name of Morris Chang. Now, Morris Chang started TSMC, but he's no longer the president. You know, he stepped down and retired um, a while back. But when the chip crisis took off and when, you know, everybody started investing all this money and everybody was in the news saying, I'm building a factory, I'm building a fab, I'm building a factory, I'm building a fab. He came out and said, he warned everyone, he says, all you companies who think that you're going to onshore or break your dependency on, you know, the Asian companies, and you think you're basically going to bring chip manufacturing onshore to your, to your country, you're fooling yourself. He says, because first of all, it's a very complicated, multi-step process. There are a lot of pieces, a lot of connections. You're still going to be tied and dependent somewhere to countries offshore. It may not necessarily be Asia, but you will have to deal with someone that is offshore. And he also mentioned that the fact that, you know, it took them decades to get where they were with the ability to develop and to, to make those chips with the, with the machinery uh, and put all those pieces together. They didn't just do that overnight. 
And so he's saying, don't think that just because you're going to pump a bunch of money and buy a set up fabs, buy you some some EUV machines that you're just going to get a chip industry. He's saying it doesn't work that way. And you have to respect you have to respect his his opinion because of what he's done. And so in the news, when you see all these ribbon cutting, serve, all these ribbon cutting and all these fabs and things going up, you have to put this now in perspective. Remember, I said the chip process is very intricate, it is very complicated, and that is a skill set. And you have to have the talent to pull that off. So my question now becomes to the United States is as we're putting this money out here to build fabs, and I know we've had conversations about education, but no, what are the real conversations? What are we really talking about education? And what does that really mean, particularly for K-12 as we feed into the uh, into higher ed? And how are we going to solidify this pipeline to really pull this off? Because at, at the end of the day, it comes down to talent. It's, it's not necessarily about just buildings and money. It, you have to have the talent and the workforce to pull this off. And we put China, you know, we, we, we're squeezing them out of, of the technology. But, you know, I don't think China's going to go out like that that easy. And I, of course, I know they're they're probably they're working. They're doing something to try to find a way to to do, to really bring uh, that manufacturing process home and to make those high end chips. But once they get in a position where they feel they are comfortable, I believe that they will invade Taiwan. Uh, a lot of the analysts right now are saying that China won't do it because of the fact that Samsung, because of TSMC and their, 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 how they're so, everyone in the world is so dependent upon them for these chips that it would be to their detriment to take over Taiwan and, and try to take over TSMC. That they won't, it would, wouldn't benefit them. Uh, but I, like I said, I, I'm not an analyst. I'm not a, I don't work for the CIA. I don't work in uh, geopolitics. I just, just feel that, you know, when they get to a position and, and that I don't know who they may work with or who they're going to collaborate with, but if they get into a position that they feel that they can make that move, they're going to do it. Cause I think that they may be a, one of the issues that why they haven't gone into Taiwan just yet. Again, this is just my opinion. And I'm not an analyst, nor do I play one on TV. Okay, so that's the rundown of the whole chip manufacturing, chip shortage and crisis and all that sort of thing. I really wanted to bring out this uh, these points because, again, I did kind of like how high level the news reports were. Well, we're just going to build some chip factories and there's just a shortage. And no, there's we're talking about two separate chips for two separate reasons. And at the end of the day. When we get through building these fabs in the United States, can we actually produce the chips that we're actually going to need? Yeah, we can do toasters and, and IoT all day long. All right. I want to thank you for um, listening uh, to this podcast. I really do appreciate uh, those who, who stuck with me. Uh, I also also want to iterate that if you're getting ready for the conferences that are coming up, we got uh, Tisa coming up. We got ISTE, Cosin. Hey, go over to Amazon, get the technology conference notebook. You can, like I said, you can get the individual book for speaker notes or the tech tool, or if you just want all of them, there's a compilation notebook that is, that is coming. Uh, at the, by the time that this podcast is about, it should be available. 
for you to uh, purchase. And they're just $7.95. So go ahead and get you a technology notebook, technology conference notebook. Again, I want to thank you. Uh, this has been the Color and Tech Podcast. I am your host, uh, Dr. T. Until next time. Thank you.